Welcome to the David McQueen Show, a weekly podcast where through insights and interviews, I explore what good leadership looks like. My main aim is to keep the podcast long enough to cover the subject, but short enough to create interest and without the So sit back and enjoy this episode of the David McQueen Show. What keeps you up at night? This is one of the favorite questions that I like to ask leaders, whether I am speaking or coaching or facilitating. I really love that question. What is it that keeps you up at night as a leader? Now, here are some of the answers that I get from individuals. Uh, Number one, it could be a product launch. You are a leader and you have the responsibility of launching a new product into the market and you realize that it it can be a bit nerve-wracking. You want to make sure that all the I's have been dotted and the T's have been crossed and everything will roll out quite effectively to those who are going to be using the actual product. A second big one is uh, around pitching for investment. So you are the head of a startup or you might even be the one who's leading an innovation group within a larger organization. And what you want to do is you want to pitch and get some funding behind your idea Make sure you have some investment in there. And so worrying about it the night from before can be quite uh, stressful for a number of leaders. Another big one that came out was around meeting payroll. And this was not just for uh, smaller companies, but I noticed this in uh, the nonprofit sector where they got government funding or grants may have been pulled back and, and costs and cuts had to be made. And obviously people were worried you know, how do I meet payroll? How am I able to pay all my staff? And, you know, if there is a problem with that, who do I keep on or, or who do I get rid of? Uh, a fourth one was around ideas. A lot of leaders have some great ideas about what they want to do. And they will have these ideas running through their mind because it could be an improvement. It could be around change. It could be something that can really help the organization to do uh, a lot better than it actually is. And so you go to bed with all these ideas ruminating through your head and you might write them down in a journal or whatever. But the fact is you still go to bed with that on your mind. And that does tend to keep a lot of leaders up and awake at night. A fifth one is around opportunities. So, for example, it might be a great opportunity to hire new staff. There may be new talent for a specific initiative around change, expanding or going out into a new territory. Or it might just be that you have been able to identify a new demographic that may be able to buy into your service. And so going to bed at night thinking about those opportunities can be quite powerful in that they stop you from uh, getting good rest because your mind is buzzing as to how they can actually work. And, you know, you may not actually have the solution for it right away. And so you're running or ruminating through it in your mind. And the last one is around problems. So if you've left work, and you've gone home and you're thinking about a number of problems that may have occurred in the workplace. You know, your organization may be getting sued or you may have to make redundancies or you're thinking about how you're going to deal with the competition or or whatever issue may come up as a result of the leadership role you have in going home and having that problem unsolved at the end of the day. For many leaders, that's what kept them up at night. Now, it's interesting because there is a similarity across all sectors, be it profit or non-profit that these problems are are the same. Effectively, we just cannot get our mind to keep quiet. And there's a beautiful quote. It says, quiet the mind and the soul will speak. And I love it because in principle, it is is beautiful. If you you just sit and, and you allow 
yourself to be calm, then your soul or a lot of the answers will speak to you. Uh, in principle, it's absolutely great, but leaders know too well that juggling the responsibilities of an organization or a division or a department or even managing yourself can actually be difficult. And especially if you've been thrust into this role and some of the problems that I'm, or issues that I mentioned have arisen and you're not even ready to cope with it yet, that can be quite stressful. And it can lead to individuals not having the kind of rest that they really should have as a leader. Now I wanna share a couple of stories with you from my personal experience. And names have obviously been changed for, uh, for reasons that I don't need to explain. But I think you'll get the, the, the gist about some of the challenges that I have seen and I've witnessed that uh, um, leaders in, in various organizations have faced. So Linda was a senior manager for an energy company. Uh, a fully qualified engineer, she was identified as a potential leader. Uh, the only downside was that with all the promotions she was given, there was little guidance as to how she could navigate the role as a new leader, especially over those who were previously just her peers. And even though she knew that she could hold her own, technically, with her peers, having to get into that position now of being the equivalent of an engineering lead and managing that whole division was a, was a challenge. And matters were complicated even more when colleagues felt that she was only given her new role because she was the only woman in the team. And as, as she mentioned, for some, as a woman of colour, they also felt that maybe the organisation was just trying to tick a diversity box. It seemed irrelevant that she was able to demonstrate competencies across all the performance measurements that she had. But when I came to work with her, I realized that she was panicking because she was really worried about the 360 degree feedback results that she would get from her colleagues. Not so much about the competency about being able to do the job, that wasn't a problem at all. What kept her up at night was the feedback that she was gonna get about her role, especially given the perception that she felt that people had about her being promoted to the position of leadership. Second story now, Eric. He was recently promoted as a VP in a bank, an international bank. And all of a sudden, those reporting into him jumped fivefold. And obviously the targets that he had increased as well. And so he began to experience some anxiety attacks because all of a sudden he had to go in and lead um, so many reports, more reports than he was used to. And whilst he enjoyed the concept of the seniority and the role, he felt in many ways he was becoming more distanced from the career that he set out to pursue as the focus moved away from his domain experience or expertise to having to manage the complex personalities and politics that faced most senior leaders. Politics that he wasn't coached would actually happen in the role. Finally, Irina. She was placed on a fast track leadership program for a division of the NHS. And she was beginning to feel overwhelmed before she even took on her new role. And although she was truly competent in what she did and always got positive reviews from her 360 degree feedback and her uh, uh, annual performance reviews, she felt somewhat that she was an imposter. Yes, that imposter syndrome comes up again. Some of it was fueled by colleagues suggesting that they were surprised by her rapid ascent to leadership. And the sniping and the insinuations didn't really phase her because she realized that people were like that anyway, but it was more of her own conversation going on internally in her mind that kept her up at night. 
As a coach, it is one thing to encourage people to pull on their strengths, to recognise uh, that they have been put into positions of leadership on the basis of their competency. But it takes a lot of strength to remain neutral when you can see a client going through a real panic and a real struggle around self-confidence and self-esteem. And the truth is, there are no silver bullets uh, and there are no easy answers to each and every one of these situations that I put before you. Every single one of those scenarios that I, I, I referenced took a lot of digging deep into the mind, exploring what those individuals, leaders saw, uh, not only as their competencies, but as their behaviours, um, how the world perceived them, but even more importantly, how they perceived themselves. And often we have to challenge not us, you know, not just the fact that we have old thoughts that become a part of the way that we look at the world. And yes, we might experience the relationships that we've had as part of our formative development, be it with our family, our school, um, our friends. But at other times, we have to also think about a process of self-inquiry into the new thoughts and the new paradigms that we create in our mind about what might happen uh, given a specific scenario. A scenario, should I say, how the way that people will react to us. Those things play on the mind of every, not just leaders, but so many of us when we are put in positions of authority and we have people who will be reporting to us because we have a vision. As leaders, we have a vision and we want to take people on a journey. So having identified that for many of us, it is a real uh, and clear and present um, issue that we have to to deal with those things about self-doubt and and going to bed at night wandering uh, and playing around scenarios in our head. I, I thought it would be really good to explore solutions because we all know the problem and we can go deep. We can go uh, and talk about uh, levels of anxiety and depression and mental health and well-being. Of course, we can spend quite a bit of time on that. But I think it will be really good to you know just jump straight in and explore some of the solutions that will stop um, leaders from having to stay up at night or at least reduce it to a certain extent. So, in your book, what keepers, what keeps leaders up at night? Keepers, but <laughs> what keeps leaders up at night? The author, Dr. Lipkin, addresses eight scenarios which trouble leaders. It's a brilliant book, and I, I love her, uh, her, the way that she's put it together. Not for everybody, but I definitely love it. And I will not go into full detail because I want you to go and buy the book yourself to kind of explore them. But I want to address two things that really struck me as part of this actual book. And here's the first one. It's a quote about stress. And she says, why should you learn stress coping skills? Because unmanaged stress, the most underestimated constant in the workplace today, can strangle your organization or your company to death. Leaders who do not manage it will make more mistakes under pressure and tend to rationalize their mistakes with the old familiar excuse. Oh, I was under a lot of stress at the time. And if you make that excuse often enough, and it soon becomes an addictive habit. You earn a reputation as a stress boss or a leader who cracks under pressure, labels that in the end will cost you the respect of your people and potentially your job. I'll say that again. Labels that in the end will cost you the respect of your people and potentially your job. That really jumped out at me. Because if you don't get enough sleep, and if there are things that do keep you up at night, what will happen is that not only are you... Um, not giving yourself and your body and your mind time to heal, but you are flooding your body with all these hormones like like cortisol and 
and uh, I'm, I'm not a scientist, I'm not even gonna pretend, but the fact is that you're gonna be flooding your body with, with all these um, chemicals that are gonna keep you quite stressed. And, and if you are quite stressed, how are you ever gonna do the job as competently as you think you are capable of doing it or you should do? And that quote really struck me because I thought of the amount of leaders that have sat in front of me or across from me when I have been coaching them uh, and recognizing that the thing that they really wanted to deal with more than anything was around anxiety and stress. So it really was about how do we then create skills or tools to be able to cope with that stress. And so the second part for me that stood out was a, a framework uh, that Dr. Lipkin used in order to get leaders to question some really core beliefs. And there were six key questions and, and I wanna kind of like spend the rest of the podcast really exploring these, because these were, were really ones that jumped out for me. So number one, who am I? Number two, what can, what can and can't I do? Number three, what belongs to me? Number four, what should I react to people? What way should I react to people, experiences and situations? Number five, what do I expect for myself and of others? Number six, what is my measure of success? So let's step back into these. Who am I? Now, whilst that might sound really existential asking yourself that question, who am I? I think it's critical for leaders to be able to have that, um, to use, uh, to, to have that point where you're actually using or asking yourself um, a question. You know, actually in the grand scheme of things, um, who am I? And what is my role here? Not just as a leader, but you know, as as a person, what you know, what is it? What is it I am about? And you know, how am I going to be able to uh, really match with the expectations I have of myself um, and the reality? And, and it's Jerry Colonna from from Reboot, who I, you all know I'm a big fan of, um, who you know introduced me to this whole concept of um, radical self-inquiry, where we really do ask ourselves those questions. Who am I? What am I about? As a leader, what's the kind of image that I'm really trying to convey to those individuals who are under my charge, who are in my report, who, who are able to report directly into me and trust me to be able to take them on that journey? And when you explore, whether you do that on your own or whether you're working with a mentor or a coach or a, a line manager or any other leader, there is something about being able to peel back the layers as to who you actually are. And it can be quite challenging. It's not an easy task by any measure. Being able to peel back those layers to find who you are, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are the things that you really um, are, are passionate about and what are the values that you hold are incredibly important. But peeling that stuff back can really help as to how you approach um, those problems or those those things we listed earlier on around um, you know the the ideas the opportunities problems that you've got to deal with all those kinds of stuff that keep you as a leader up at night start with that basis who am I the second one what can and can't I do and I think this is a good one you've always got to work within your strengths because there are going to be some times where you are going to be placed in a situation where people have high expectations of you to do certain things now, I know that I am you know, pretty good at um, self-branding. I'm pretty good at being able to create um, big picture ideas. But what I know uh, I can't do is, I know that in some respects, 
I cannot do the the stuff that is really required to um, to do the detail. I'm very I'm very good at big picture. I can write that stuff down, but I need to work with people who can pull together that information. So um, when I am presenting or when I'm doing my programs, it's, it's a combination of yes, I've got this stuff in my head, but I work with individuals. I work with my team, work with my wife, and work with other members of the team to pull together the information that I have. So it does it comes together, you know, quite coherently, and then I can deliver it. I'm very clear about the things that I can do and what I can't do. And again, that whole process of uh, self-inquiry allows you to go and dig, dig deep and find out those times where, you know, you realize I don't have all the answers. Um, and by being very clear about the th answers that you do have, it's quite important. Number three, what belongs to me? Now, that's an interesting question because it's so easy to um, forget that you don't own everything when you are in a position of leadership. And that question is uh, one where you dig deep as a leader that you realize that there are only certain things that do belong to you and there are only certain things that you can focus on and the other things you actually can't control. And so you look at those specific domains where individuals are going to be reporting into you and you focus on those alone. For example, if you are thinking about a, a new product or you are looking for investment, what belongs to you is the information you have in your hand. Trying to influence the outcome or trying to think of what other people are thinking is a, is a futile and useless exercise. You have to work on what you actually have. The fourth one is what way should I react to people, experiences and situations? And again, it is around that core belief that there are going to be individuals who you get on with brilliantly. There are going to be others that you don't um, you don't get on with. And that's fine. That's just human nature. But how we react to, to, to people, all the experiences that we've had in the past, or even specific situations that may happen in a meeting or in a conference or what have you, how we react to them will shape the conversation that goes into our into our mind. And sometimes... Uh, I, I suggest to clients that being able to write down what we have done with certain people experiences or situations in the past can really help us to deal with that anxiety in the moment and it also allows us to be able to have closure on that situation so we're not going to our beds or going at the end of the day worrying about what that outcome is just because we haven't been able to deal with it in the moment. The fifth one is about what do I expect for myself and of others? What are the expectations I have? And I often meet uh, a lot of people who set very, very high standards for themselves and a very strong and high standards of perfection. And uh, perfection is an illusion. Uh, no one ever is perfect. You do your best. And whatever you do, you're always going to get better. So for me, practice isn't about making it perfect. It's about practice is about making it permanent so that you can have a, a permanent record or a permanent bit of thinking about uh, the work you do uh, the way you lead and how you're going to get other people to follow. But that expectation has got to be realistic rather than some kind of overbearing, um, some kind of overbearing measurement you put on yourself or expectation you put on yourself of being able to do things and doing things perfectly. And then finally, number six is what is the measure of success? How do you measure success? You know, when you are working in a position before you've been chosen as a leader, it's very easy to be able to uh, understand how well you're doing because you're often validated. If you have a dom domain expertise around a technology or a skill or something that you're really good at, you're always going to have those performance reviews or feedback uh, 
um, quite instantly by those who are senior to you. And so you're constantly getting that, um, that validation in a loop. But when you come into a position of leadership, yes, you're going to get that feedback, but you're not going to get it in the same way. It might come as an end of year review from your colleagues or the assumption is, is because you're in a position of leadership, you should know or you shouldn't even need to have that validation. And often this really means that there can be a bit of dissonance where the leader doesn't actually know what is successful. And so you have to be in a position where you start to divine or understand what the measure of success is. Is it about being able to take the people on a, on a specific vision? Is it about being able to hit specific targets, um, key performance indicators? What are those things that are a measure of success for you? And all those other, all those things I've measured about, you know, about the uh, the financials, about the people, whatever, they're quite cool. But more importantly, and more than anything, that measure of success should be around you and what you really want to focus on uh, as a leader, that personal sense of well-being, uh, rather than having to validate it outside, or, you know, from other people. Now, again, in the book, and I love this book, there are a number of um, cognitive distortions, distortions that come up. And this is how the this dissonance that um, it takes our worldview, but because of the fear, um, you know, we, we, we tend to see the world in a different way. And so this plays on our mind. So we have things like, you know, we we ask what if, we create all these scenarios, what if, or what what if this happens? And we play this thing over and over in our mind, which is good, and there is place for it, but not when it comes to a point where that's what our main focus on. We're always thinking about the what if rather than the concrete evidence of what's actually happening in our head. Sometimes we may start to filter stuff because we may um, have had experiences with people and we only filter it through the experiences of other people as well. And that totally disrupts the way that we see, see the world. If you are one of those demagogues and one of those people that you really just like to control people and you insist that you are always right and people never question your judgment, of course you're going to go to bed thinking about these um, these things or these scenarios because you actually haven't had uh, a clear or a, a, a present workforce or individuals who will work with you who may push back on some of the ideas who may challenge you and so rather than you having to think of the scenario only on your own and 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 torturing yourself as to whether you have the right or wrong answer being able to get rid of that distortion allows you to be able to um, think clearer um, have a diverse set of opinions back on something that you thought about and and not have to worry too much about it again things like personalizing it a lot of times we can really personalize situations in work and, and often the behaviors that we see, that we demonstrate or we see demonstrating from other people is because we have personalized. It's got nothing to do with the concrete data that's in front of us. It's just that someone has taken a, 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 a view or worldview or a stance based on whatever internal conversation is going on for them as well. And as a leader, uh, it's important that we take away that assumption. Uh, that, that we must assume that everybody you know, is reacting to us and that in some way we are the center of the universe. It doesn't happen. And one last one I think is, is, is really important is about comparisons. So many times leaders make comparisons with other, am I doing as well as them? Um, they seem to be firing on, on, on so many cylinders. People tend to love them or they're a bit more charismatic or they're a better listener. And it's very easy to compare yourself to others. And, that's, and those scenarios keep playing in our mind. But why do you have to compare? If you're being put in a position of leadership and the individuals who put you there believe that you have the competency to be able to do that role, you shouldn't have to compare yourself to anybody else. And that's fine. And so it's by digging deep into these questions, I believe that the who am I, the what can I and can't I do, what belongs to me, 
What way should I react to people, experiences and situations? What do I expect from myself and of others? And what is the measure of my success? I believe by digging deep into those situations or those questions, whether you do it personally or whether you do it with the help of a coach, a mentor or somebody who you can have an honest conversation with in your workplace, I think it's a starting point. There are no, as I said before, there are no silver bullets. There are no easy answers to these scenarios, but it gives you an opportunity to just step back from the situation. Think about um, uh, putting your mind to rest. Write it down on a piece of paper if you have to. Drop a little email to those individuals who might be within your uh, remit if you want to bounce some ideas off. If you've got things in your head and, and you feel that they're a priority, rather than keep it to yourself, see if you can share it with those individuals who you can trust. And if it's not that important, just file it under B. Just because you've got an idea in your head doesn't mean it has to be acted on straight away. Just because there's a problem that is um, in front of you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to deal with that problem straight away. Sometimes you can be able to step back from it and actually make uh, a concrete and solid decision based on all the information rather than just being able to react out of fear or emotion. So those are some tips I wanted to leave with you today. Just about being able to um, think about uh, the, your role as a leader and how you can minimize stress and how you can minimize the risk of having to go to bed and worrying about all these things um, that plague your mind. I, I do believe that as leaders, it's not going to be an easy role to be able to uh, manage those feelings or manage those emotions. But there definitely is something about being able to just take a step back. It's a simple step back and, and not overwhelm ourselves with too much data and too much information so that we can't go to sleep at night. So I thank you for listening to this week's episode. And again, as always, I hope that the direction uh, and, and the point is that I made uh, can really help for uh, either existing leaders or those who are looking to go into the position of leadership. Hey, it might even be a pointer that you may have when you're having a conversation with somebody who's leading with you. You might be uh, leading you. It might be a, a really good um, conversation start. You can impress them with the six questions and, and who knows, they may even be able to identify you as a future leader. And as a, as a say you or as a as a introduction to next week's episode, I'll be exploring handling difficult conversations. And I love that. I'll be exploring those. So please remember this podcast is not only on SoundCloud, but can also be found on iTunes. And whatever platform you have, and I'm exploring of putting it on others as well. Some people have suggested to me Stitcher and, and um, Spotify. So I'm exploring those as well. But what I want you to do in the meantime is go ahead and share or comment and rate on any of the existing platforms that I do have, be that SoundCloud or iTunes. And, and I appreciate both your time to listen to uh, the podcast that I present, your feedback on, I get some really good um, feedback on social media, on the platform itself. And, and essentially, I, I really appreciate the fact that you are listening uh, seven episodes in. So I promise you that there will be a, a lot more content coming. I have lined up a number of people who are leaders themselves who I want to be interviewing and I'm working through the process at the moment to arrange times and um, and spaces to be able to get those interviews down so we can expand and have a bit more variety to the actual podcast. So as always, I, I thank you for tuning in to the Dave McQueen Show. I, I really appreciate those who have been able to spread the word on your various platforms and I look forward to having you tune in to the next episode. So until then, take care.